You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. As they're heading out, if you want to grab your Bible and make your way to the 23rd Psalm, we're going to continue in our series right there. If you're using one of those pew Bibles, it's on page 483. The 23rd Psalm, and we're, I think we're plodding along here pretty well. Let's go ahead and read this in its entirety before we begin. God's word says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what he needs. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Let's pray. Lord, as we turn to your word, I would ask humbly that you would speak to us, that you would communicate with us as we commune with you. You would transform us by your word. And Lord, we have... A fascinating thing happening here, Lord, and I just ask that you would help me to communicate it clearly and correctly, that it would be fruitful. And God, even as we're sitting Bibles in laps, looking to your word, hearing from you, Lord, that it would be an act of our worship back to you. We praise you. God, we love you. We ask that you would speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we've, we've shifted some things. Maybe you noticed in the reading, some, some things have now changed. We had four verses of poetry that were using an analogy of a shepherd and sheep to show us something about the relationship that we have with the Lord. And we would learn from that and see how that worked, and and now something's changed. In the Bible that I have here, the the publisher and the printing, maybe it's the same in yours, there's a gap, there's a space between the last of verse 4 and the beginning of verse 5. The publishers clearly wanted me to see... That these two things do not just flow into one another. Something has changed. In this case, the analogy has stopped and something else has begun. It's clearly different. Listen to verse 5 again. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, they are connected. It's not that they're... It's not that they're completely separate and we should have a new psalm number or anything like that. There is a handful of commentators that try to see the connection in this way. They say, okay, if you look, the table is the green pastures and the enemies are from the dark valley and the cup, well, that's the, the still waters and they try really hard to make that connection. And, um, no. When you do that, it just gets weird. It just just starts to not even make sense as you try too hard to connect the two things. It's okay. We have one psalm making one really strong point, but it's okay that we've shifted gears now from those four verses to something different because God wants us to see something in the change. God wants us to, to see there's something going on. The change that David has made is intentional. It's a change for a reason. Now, we understand the sheep-shepherd illustration. We've been working in that now for four weeks. We get it. But even as David is is professing the wonder of the Lord, he's now made a change. He's had to go beyond that analogy so he could do more. 
it, it's time to see the illustration can only take us so far. And now there's still more to see. Now, don't lose the fact that this is still about God's wonderful provision. And it's still about the protection. We saw the provision and the protection in the illustration. In the sheep shepherd illustration. The first four verses. God, the Lord, is a provider. God, the Lord, is a protector. And we also see the same thing in these next two verses. God provides. God protects. This is what the 23rd Psalm is all about. And so in so many ways, verses 5 and 6 are really saying the exact same thing as verses 1 through 4, except now they're saying it in a different way, a more pointed way. It's not an analogy. It's more direct. Now we have a table in front of us, a table of thanksgiving. And the Lord provides this great table. The Lord makes it possible. The, the Lord has put this space together. He's preparing a table. It's not just a skimpy table. It's not just a let's make do table. It's not a supply chain issue table. It's an overflowing feast. The best Thanksgiving meal you've ever seen. Life is wonderful. And in the house of the Lord, goodness and faithful love, they're, they're following us. There's no dangers at this feast. There's no threats. God is protecting us here. And our enemies are, are there. They're near enough to see, but they're powerless. They're powerless except to sit and watch us enjoy the feast and love the Lord as they go without. What's happening here is, is a unique picture. The table language suggests that this is indeed a wonderful banquet. It's not just a meal. It's something so much more. A celebration. It's a, it's a, it's a banquet. It's an event. It's for us, but it was prepared by the Lord. Not to show us how great we are, but to show how great the Lord is in this event. So I could ask you to imagine a banquet prepared by the Lord. What would that look like? If you could imagine a banquet feast, you know, I could say, hey, let's just, let's just start to imagine what would be there. And some of us would have different ideas, especially the vegans. However, Isaiah 25 shows us a great feast. And in Isaiah 25, there's a celebration and a banquet when death is destroyed and when all the tears are wiped away. You know what the, the feast looks like? Isaiah 25, 6 says this, The Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat and vintage wine. There is no frozen vegetable medley in this feast. None of the weird little peas, carrots, and, and what else is in their corn, and then sometimes some white chunks of something, just thawed out and microwaved. Not at this feast. It's not that kind of feast. It's not that kind of table. This is the best meats and the best wine. Now, I don't necessarily think, because this could go a couple different ways, that, that Psalm 23 is specifically speaking of that feast. But I don't think we should rule it out either. It says, this is in the house of the Lord, and, and David says, I will live there forever. So it's talking about some sense of the house of the Lord. So maybe, as some commentators have pointed out, it's about the temple in the presence of God. That's possible. Maybe it's about just being among the people of God who are the temple and the house of the Lord. Or maybe it is indeed about heaven. Maybe it's about that feast in Isaiah. It works 
in all those circumstances because we see in the psalm, the point is the Lord provides the feast, the banquet. The Lord protects his people. And clearly, if there's a picture of this will be the case forever, then he seems to be providing perpetually forever for his people. It goes on in the verse to say, the Lord anoints my head with oil. Now, we don't really do that these days. And if we do, it's purely symbolic. But back then, it was a way of, of comforting. Things were dry. Things were difficult. Hey, I see. You know, it'd sort of be like, man, you, it's the winter, and you have cracked hands, and hey, I have some, I have some you know, hand lotion, and would, you, would that help you to not have cracked hands? Okay? But it's a lot more than that. It's not just about comfort. It's about honoring the most honored guests. It's about showing blessing and honor. And so the, the host would anoint someone's head with oil to show them that blessing. And it washed their feet, which, by the way, is a lowly, humble task to be at the feet of another, dirty feet, wash the feet, anoint the head with oil. So this is a really big deal. And saying, the Lord anoints my head with oil. This is a, this is a really big deal. It goes on to say, my cup overflows. The cup is a picture of blessing. Cup can also be a picture of wrath. It can be one or the other. It's a picture of blessing. I have more than what I need. More. It's abundant. It's overflowing. I cannot contain it. There's more than I could possibly want or need. I am truly blessed. My cup overflows. It's a beautiful statement. And our enemies are there. They're powerless to do anything about it. You're blessed and they can't touch you. You're feasting with the Lord. They can't do anything. Now, let's keep in mind, this feast wouldn't be happening if there was danger. If there was danger lurking around, the, the host of this feast, the Lord, would not say, I have an idea, let's put ourselves in great jeopardy, and while we're eating and feasting, uh, our enemies will attack us. No, no, no. There is no danger. There is none. That's why the feast is happening, because God not only provides, God protects and we see it clearly right in this moment. Okay. There's something else going on here, though. And this is tricky ground for a preacher, at least a preacher who wants to preach biblically. Because what's going on here is something that is not found in what's written, but in what's not written. And in my Bible, there's a little gap, so I might need to, to write something in there. Not because I'm writing in for God's word, but to remind me there's a lot more going on here. Why the shift? Why the change? Well, let's start like this. Imagine we continue the analogy, which means we need to imagine that there is a sheep, a fluffy, puffy sheep, at the banquet. Okay, the sheep's head got anointed. Okay, there's, there's meat and wine on the table. Let's hope it's not mutton, because that'd be awkward. Sheep don't eat meat. I don't think they drink wine. In fact, the cup runs over, but the sheep doesn't even have any thumbs. It can't even pick the cup up. This analogy got weird. It just doesn't work for sheep at the table. The analogy doesn't go the distance to show us the magnitude of how much the Lord provides for us and how much he protects us and how great he truly is. The analogy can't go that far. It falls short. And there's a significant point here, and it's not so much in the words that are there, but in the words that are not there. It's in the gap. We can see it in the transition if we really just pause for a minute and think about it. What is the point in the gap? 
The point is this. We are not sheep. We're not sheep. We're people. Redeemed by God. The pinnacle of his creation. We are not sheep. See, an analogy is a comparison between two things, not to show us that they are identical in every way, but to say, hey, these two things have some aspect, some attribute that are similar. And if we can understand it with this thing, it'll really help us understand it with the other thing. And that's how you use an analogy. But too often we treat the 23rd Psalm as a metaphor. A metaphor says this is that. And it uses the that to communicate in some kind of imagery something. This is not a metaphor, it's an analogy. We are not sheep. The analogy here falls short. But let's be clear. Okay, I don't want anybody getting the wrong idea. Using this sheep language and using the shepherd sheep analogy is certainly not wrong. In fact, it's incredibly helpful. Okay, it's what the first four verses of the 23rd Psalm did, and it's beautiful. It's wonderful. We love it. So it's not a bad thing. The Bible uses this sheep shepherd analogy all over the place Old Testament, New Testament, prophets, narrative, poetry, gospels, epistles, revelation. It's all over the place. Jesus uses this shepherd sheep analogy a lot. The apostles use it a lot. It's a running illustration that is extremely useful. In fact, the pastor, the very word pastor, comes from the word shepherd. It's a very significant illustration for us. But here in the transition of the 23rd Psalm, it shows us that it does have its limitations. And if we don't recognize those limitations, it might even have dangers. I think there are three that are worth talking about. That's where I'm going to spend the bulk of my time this morning, these three limitations and what goes beyond. Here's the first. The first limitation, if we, if we don't see that the analogy just actually falls a little short, it's possible to overextend the illustration. And then we're not using it as God intended it. We're using it in an incorrect way. We end up pushing it too far. We end up using it to say too much, and truthfully, we usually end up pushing it into a negative direction. We see things about the sheep that are negative, and then we apply those things that we see about the sheep to Christians. That's not how this was intended. That's not how it was intended. And by the way, the Bible never, ever does that. The Bible never, ever applies a negative thing about a sheep to God's people. Not once. So what does it look like? I'll give you an example. Maybe you've heard someone say this. Well, sheep are just dumb. You know, Christians are sheep. Sheep are dumb animals. Well, that's saying Christians are dumb. That's really what that says. Christians are not dumb. God's people are not dumb. The bride of Christ is not dumb. God is renewing and transforming the mind of the believer. So we shouldn't call Christians dumb because sheep are dumb. We've overextended the analogy and used it in a way that's unbiblical and wrong. How about this? Well, I was down in a ditch. The shepherd had to pull me out. But you know what I do every time? I just jump right back in the ditch. Guess we're just big dumb sheep, you know. Maybe you saw that YouTube video. By the way, have you seen that YouTube video? It's like a little canyon crack and a shepherd or an actual physical shepherd or rancher pulls this little sheep goat baby out of it and it goes, jumps right back in it. 
And we say that about ourselves. I'm just a sheep. I just jump back into the ditch. We're not sheep. This is a way of making an excuse for a lack of wisdom, a lack of obedience, a lack of sanctification, and yet God calls us to use wisdom, which he will supply if we ask. So there's no reason for an excuse for jumping back in the ditch. He calls us to be obedient. He calls us to be sanctified on this Christian journey, to be, to be growing, to be made holy. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to help us. And then he gives us the word of God to help us. And he gives our, our fellow Christians, the church body, the members to help us in this journey. So we don't just need to keep making excuses. I just jump back in the ditch. No. Maybe sheep do that. Christians don't use that as an excuse. They don't do it. Pastors are actually the worst at this. I'm guilty. This week has been a real good solid rebuke for me overextending the analogy. I talk with lots of other pastors. Pastors encourage one another by overextending the analogy. I even, there's a book I own somewhere. Maybe I gave it to another pastor that does this with the title about the congregation being sheep and, and there's some stuff in there. All right, I've taken the analogy too far. I've applied the negative aspects of sheep to God's people in order to explain the task that's in front of me and honestly to provide an excuse for the problems, to just kind of excuse it away rather than really dealing with what God is calling us to deal with. So I'm not doing my job. Christians aren't sheep. Here's how this looks sometimes. Pastors say, well, sheep just jump right back in the ditch because they're sheep. That's no excuse. That's no excuse for me not to say, stop jumping back into your old sins. Stop making bad choices with poor wisdom and instead ask the Lord for wisdom. Go to the word of God. Let's stop going back to the problems. That's what the pastor is supposed to do. Not go, well, sheep, just jump back in there, okie doke. We gotta stop using that excuse. Pastors here at Redeeming Life, we gotta stop using that excuse. It means the work gets a little harder. Truth gets a little tougher to have to be shared in love sometimes. Can't just overlook it. Our pastors say this one a lot. Sometimes some of the sheep just bite each other. That's what they do. They bite each other. And if they're not biting each other, some of them just bite the pastor. So something bad happens. Somebody says something mean. You know, somebody calls you a name. Somebody does something. Well, sheep just bite. That's a way of making excuses for the hurtful, sinful actions of the people of God that they commit towards one another or towards the pastor. Let's call it what it is. It's not sheep biting. It's disunity and sin. And it's wrong. Okay, it's the pastor's job to call this out when it happens. It's not overlook the biting and go, well, that's just what sheep do. It's wrong. We need to seek forgiveness. Now we need to seek unity among the body of Christ because we're not sheep. Sheep do bite. Christians don't. You might be surprised to learn how often people say mean things to pastors. It's actually pretty alarming sometimes. It's shocking. I've sat with pastors who have just had their teeth kicked in by the church. Then the church can't figure out why the pastor quits or is burned out. 
That's still happening a lot coming out of COVID. There's name calling. There's accusations that are, that are sometimes right but done in a harsh way. and We never revisit them. Harsh words. It's amazing to me how much little grace is afforded to the pastor. How much little patience is given to us when we make mistakes just like the rest of us. Do you know who this usually hurts the most? The pastor's wife and kids. Man, they hate seeing the pastor get bit by the people that we're supposed to tend to and love. And bit is not the right word because we're not sheep. Sinned against with names and unfair behavior and a lack of grace. They don't like seeing their dad have that treatment happen. They don't like seeing their husbands have that treatment happen. And just like me, I know a lot of pastors who just simply say to kind of brush it off, to extend the grace to the congregation that's mean to them, to offer them patience... Sometimes sheep just bite. It's okay, that's what they do. That's true, sheep do bite. Christians don't. Christians aren't sheep. And, and, and it's not biting. Sometimes Christians do sinful things and it should be the pastor's job and your job as brothers and sisters in Christ to call each other out and say, stop doing that, that's sin. Let's seek forgiveness and let's look for unity. See, the sheep analogy gets misused in this way and then it's not helpful for us. We gotta get past it. And yeah, the the picture of shepherding is a good picture. Jesus uses it. The picture of being a sheep is a good picture, but it only goes so far. And we 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 can't overextend the analogy. Let us not do that because that'll only be to our detriment. Let's get honest and let's get real with this. Here's the second thing that happens when the sheep-shepherd analogy is used. In fact, I'll say it. I'm just going to read it right off my notes. When we use the shepherd-sheep analogy without turning to the reality of what the analogy is explaining or teaching, we miss the reality. If we look too closely at the analogy and not what it's trying to tell us about, we miss what it's telling us about. Or if we don't miss the reality of truth completely, what happens more often is we just soft serve it to the point that it really doesn't mean anything. It just sounds like nice language, Christianese. We don't think about it very seriously. Let me give you some examples. Here's one from John 10, three through four. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Okay, that's not just a nice picture of a bunch of sheep following a guy named Jesus and that's kind of how we envision. Oh, nice, I'm just gonna wander around and follow. No! It's that Christians read God's word where Jesus has spoke and then they do what it teaches. They obey it. And we don't even like to hear the word obey. But that's what it means. Oh, shepherd, sheep, voice, follow. No, hear, obey. Read, see it, obey it. It's that we like that flowery sheep language because we don't like to obey. We don't like to give our lives and our worship and our heart to the voice of Jesus. Instead, we're kind of enticed by the false teachers and the ideas of the world and what might give us pleasures. And so we just go, ah, follow and obey, or follow and or hear and follow Jesus like a shepherd and sheep. But let's get real about this. There's a real true statement to that. There is no other voice by which we should be hearing and obeying. It's that of Jesus. Here's another one. I'm probably going to hear from somebody. Probably not our members. 
probably somebody, if you're a guest here, I make no apologies, but let's talk it out if you're watching online. He separates the sheep from the goats. Okay, when I'm saying we're not sheep in here, I'm not saying we are goats. I'm saying we're human beings. But in this analogy, when he separates the sheep from the goats, it's explaining the final judgment. The sheep of his flock on one side, the goats on the other. That's the illustration. And then that text actually goes on to say, moving now beyond the analogy to people, there will be a judgment. And those on one side to eternal life, those on the other to eternal death. It's about hell. That's some poetic flowery analogy that has to move beyond the analogy to the reality. There is a hell and there is a judgment. And by the way, if you don't know which side you're going to be on, you're unsure, you're working it out, let's talk it out now. Because there's no figuring out on that day when the judgment comes. Let's work it out. Let's talk it. That's what we're doing. We're trying to work through what Jesus says about how we become a member of the sheep and get God at the table at the banquet forever. If you don't know, let's talk through this. Let's talk through what the Bible says about Jesus' death on the cross. In your place, the resurrection from dead is the first of the resurrected people in which we hope to follow, certainly in that way, not in judgment. His ascension to heaven salvation let's talk it out let's answer those questions by god's word here's another one what about this one on that same note behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world man that's beautiful language or the sacrificial lamb from the old testament into the new testament all the way to the end times the new heavens and new earth the sacrificial lamb okay this is jesus most of us know that, but this is not nice-looking, clean Jesus with kids on his lap bringing peace and joy. When you hear the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world or the sacrificial lamb, you should be hearing his bloodied, battered, murdered, judged Jesus, whose blood was shed for the remissions of sin, who was nailed to a cross in your place, crushed and killed, and even now in his resurrected state, which is glorious and wonderful, he still has the nail holes to remind us of this picture of the sacrificial lamb. It's not cute, fluffy, stuffed animal. It's Jesus who died for you. We need to hear these things this way. We need to go beyond the analogy to the reality. Or what about this one? What about wolves in sheep's clothing? Matthew 7, 15. Or I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. There's numerous discussions in the Bible with this analogy about wolves. But I'm here to tell you, they're not the endangered animal in the zoo with a waggy tail and you kind of hope maybe it could be a pet or maybe it'd be mean. It's not that. We have to go beyond the analogy to the reality Jesus said, in explaining this analogy, that they were false teachers, and he warned the church. Paul told Timothy that they would turn people away from the truth, which would result in their destruction. That's 2 Timothy 4, 3 
and 4. Paul warned the church in Ephesus that they would, they would rise up from within the church and lead people away from God, which equals eternity in hell, destruction, wickedness. Think about that when you think about wolves. That's Acts 20, verses 29 and 30. This analogy doesn't go far enough. When you think of a wolf, you think you might get bit or chomped or a pack of wolves might get you, but this is demonic. This is eternal. And this will devour the soul and spread like cancer. I've seen this a handful of times in my ministry. And I wish I could say that I've caught it and protected the church and I was quick on it and got to it, but I can't say that. I hope I can say I'm learning how to recognize it and how to protect the church and we'll do better when it comes again. You could pray for me in that, that we'd recognize it and see it. The church will be protected. And all the times I've seen it, it kind of goes like this. People in the church start getting enamored with somebody else in the church. It's pretty much how it always works. And that person is enamored with some, usually some amazing author, some TV teacher, some whatever. That person has the person that goes, hey, look at all this. But everybody starts getting really enamored with that person. And then some teaching and some discipleship starts to happen. But usually when that happens, there's a rejection of any kind of accountability in it. It's just kind of happening out there in the fringes. And nobody wants to just say, let's call it what it is or let's work through it. It becomes closed door issues. Over time, people become dependent on the teacher because their teacher is not helping them to grow and helping them to understand God's word, but instead making them dependent on the teacher. You need the teacher, and the teacher is actually doing something else. Whether he realizes it or not, the demonic, they know it, but the teacher may or may not. Something is happening. It's something crafty. And from what I've seen in my experiences... Eventually, every person discipled by the wolf, the false teacher, the one who's bringing this destruction, is eventually no longer serving. They're starting to walk away from Jesus. They're they're deconstructing their faith. They have doubts. Sometimes they become suicidal. Sometimes they become depressed. Sometimes they're turning to other harmful things. But in every case, for whatever reason, even though they've been sitting with somebody who claims to be a teacher of God, teaching something of the Bible, they have no hope. They don't love the bride of Christ any longer, and eventually they don't love Jesus. But somehow the wolf still remains their hero. You say, what's the fruit of that? The fruit looks horrible. No, that guy's my hero. He's my guru. When it starts, it looks biblical and it looks good. Person looks like a superstar. Person looks wise, charismatic. What a great teacher and leader who knows so much. By the time it's done, their path of destructions, destruction and, and harm make angels weep. It makes pastors weep. And the church says, What happened to these people? What happened in our church? It's because those wolves, those false teachers, are not doing an Ephesians 4 equipping, they're doing a Matthew 7 devouring. And in the cases that I've seen, sadly, the wolf somehow just slips away like a slippery bar of soap, ends up in another church somewhere, ends up doing it all over again. It is wicked and evil, and Jesus warns us about it when he says they are wolves in sheep's clothing. 
We've got to get beyond the analogy so that we can see the reality of what the analogy is trying to show us. God is warning us and it is serious. It's serious. There's one more. I could do a lot of these. There's one more. But I just want to show us what happens when we, when we camp out on the analogy and we don't see the reality of what it's actually showing us. This one's really to preachers, and some of you in this room have preached, you are preachers, maybe you're called to be a preacher. It's also to those who hear preaching, which I think should be everybody in this room. It comes from John 21, 17. Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. He says, feed my sheep. It's amazing to me how many people take that analogy and don't process what it's actually saying. It's not just a cute saying. It's not just to restore Peter in some clever way. It's a charge to preachers. And by extension, a charge to the hearers of preaching. Jesus charged Peter, P- Peter and all preachers to preach to God's people when he said that. Feed my sheep. Not their own people. Not their gathering. Not their group. Not their posse. A lot of preachers fall victim to thinking that the people are their people. A lot of preachers say, oh, when I talk to my people, and we do this with my people, and my... feed my sheep, Jesus said, so you're Jesus' people. You're certainly not my people. And it says he's supposed to feed them with life, something that gives life, provides life, sustains life. That's the word of God. John six sixty eight says, Jesus' words are the words of life. Okay, and then John 1.1 1, 1 tells us that all of the Bible is Jesus' words. Therefore, Jesus charged preachers to preach his word to his people, not the preacher's word to the preacher's people. It's a call that preachers should be preaching God's word, not Fluffy platitudes that mean nothing, not sticky catchphrases that get little buzz clips in all the social media. Not things that have, you know, no meat on the bones. Not empty words. It's a call to preach the word of God and the word of God can change lives and give life and nothing else can. Okay, it's a call not to be preaching the stuff that people with itchy ears want to hear so they can pat themselves on the back and feel good about themselves. Sometimes it's hard. It's not always just the happy-go-lucky cupcakes and rainbows because it's not always that way in God's economy. It's certainly not that I should be preaching, or any preacher for that matter, my opinions, clever things, ideas of the world. It's a charge to preach God's word to God's people. Now there's more to it. It's also a charge that you should listen to God's preached word, not what your itchy ears want you to go hear. And you need to hold me accountable to this. That's the job of the congregation. And when you see a place where I am not preaching God's word or I am preaching merely my opinions, we need to sit down and we need to talk. You need to let me know. You may or may not be right, but we need to talk it out. You've got to keep me on this because I'm just as tempted to preach what I want to preach as you are just as tempted to hear different preachers. The charge is not that. Feed my sheep has meaning. We've got to get beyond the analogy to what the analogy is teaching us about. All right, third. I'm going to close on this. 
when we make too much of the shepherd sheep analogy, now the shepherd sheep analogy is beautiful, but when we make too much of it, we actually miss out on better worship. That's what we see in the 23rd Psalm. This is a praise. This is a song. This is a statement of worship. And when we can't let the, the first four verses analogy go, we end up with an idea at, of the sheep at the banquet. Like knocking the drinks over, defecating on the floor, they have no idea what's going on. And when that's the case, we actually don't see the shepherd for who he really is. When we see ourselves as sheep at the banquet, we treat our worship of God like it's just all okay and, and whatever goes. Bah, it's not okay. There's so much more going on here than what's in that analogy. When we see our Lord only as the shepherd, and many people do, the shepherd who loves me, protects me, cares for me. That's fine, that's beautiful. But when we only see that illustration and cast it on Jesus and see Jesus for nothing more, we miss the Lord as our conquering king who can host a banquet feast, a victory celebration. We miss the Lord as our perfect priest who stands between sinner and God to make the sacrifice and then he himself becomes the sacrifice. We miss him as our kinsman redeemer. We miss him as our creator and the one who can speak to the storms and calm them with a word. We miss him as our friend. He says, I no longer call my disciples slaves. I call them friends. I don't think the sheep look to the shepherd as a friend. They look to him as the one that keeps the wolves away and provides food. The analogy does not go far enough. Jesus calls you his friend if you're his. When we, we only see the shepherd, we miss just how much the Lord actually provides and protects and how much he is worthy of our worship. The shepherd protects the sheep. It's quite another thing for God to protect his redeemed people and he does it so much better than a shepherd protecting sheep. Don't miss that. Don't miss it at all. Don't get so camped out on the analogy that you miss the better worship and the glorifying of the Lord when you see how magnificent he is. The sheep shepherd illustration is good. It really is. It's beautiful. It's helpful. But like David does in the 23rd Psalm, after we see it, we have to hit pause. We have to lay it down. We have to shift gears so that we can see so much more. There's so much more. God has so much more for us than just that analogy. God deserves our worship when we see that so much more. And when we stop seeing ourselves as just sheep and what he's doing in such a bigger way as, as the people of God, then we start to see him for who he really is that the analogy can just barely scratch the surface on. And then when that happens, we get true and meaningful and powerful and remarkable worship. We can glorify God for who he really is. Because we're not sheep. We're so much more. And because our Lord is not just a shepherd. He is so much more. So now in just a minute here, we're going to pray. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And we're going to sing.
And I really hope that you might fellowship out there before you run to your car. And we get to worship him in ways that are so much greater than anything a sheep would ever do on the hillside with a shepherd. Because we're not sheep. We're God's people. And he's not just a shepherd. He's the Lord of Lord and the King of glory. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you so much that David hit pause and showed us so much more. Lord, I long for this banquet and I want to enjoy a shadow of that banquet now. And I'm thankful for the banquet and I'm thankful that you provide and I'm thankful that you protect. God, I thank you that the shepherd sheep analogy is helpful. God, help us to see you in such greater ways than we've ever seen you before. Reveal yourself to us, Lord. Show yourself that we could glory in you, that we could worship you, Lord, and that we could praise you. And Lord, many of us in here see us ourselves or their brothers and sisters like they see the negative aspects of a sheep. Please let that, just let us let that go. We are redeemed, blood-bought children of God, invited to the banquet, honored, cherished, and welcomed into your joy. May we never forget that of ourselves or each other. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.